Are you looking to give your immune system a boost? This is Dr. Ronald Hoppen with a natural solution from Future Farm Botanicals, liquid wild oil of oregano with rosemary extract and natural honey flavor. Future Farm's wild oil of oregano supports a variety of health benefits, including antimicrobial effects, as well as supporting the immune system. Plus, Future Farm is the first ever to formulate wild oil of oregano with rosemary. Rosemary aids circulation, helps alleviate muscle pain, improves memory, and also gives your immune system a boost. The natural honey flavor enhances the taste while still giving you all of the benefits. Future Farm sources this product from the Mediterranean and produces it in the United States. For more information and to order, call 888-841-7216, 888-841-7216, or go to myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. That's future, P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman. Wild oil of oregano is all natural, science-based, and works without adverse side effects. MyFutureFarm.com slash Hoffman. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. We're talking to Dr. Leo Trisandi. Uh, he is Vice Chair for Research in the Department of Pediatrics at NYU here in New York City and uh, a leader in children's environmental health. And uh, as a pediatrician, uh, he sees it up close, you know, the consequences of chemical exposure uh, in terms of many disorders that our children are coming down with, uh, but that also have ramifications for, you know, what we as adults may experience, uh, endocrine disorders, uh, overweight, cardiovascular risk, uh, and cancer, even cancer. Uh, neurological diseases certainly come under that rubric. Uh, so, you know, I, I wanted to uh, run something by you, uh, which is, can certain foods promote detox? Because I'm a subscriber to the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. I, you know, anxiously read articles for practical clues on, you know, news I can use for myself and for my patients. And uh, recently, uh, this comes out of China, research showing that uh, a high sulforaphane drink uh, made from, I think it's made from broccoli sprouts, uh, helped uh, Chinese subjects detoxify benzene, which is a, a carcinogenic uh, environmental chemical, you know, recent, you know, banned from many settings in the United States, but still ubiquitous in the environment. Uh, is there any prospect that by eating a certain way, we can sidestep some of the consequences of these chemicals? The best advice here is to prevent these exposures in the first place. There really are very few, if any, proven ways to detox or counteract the effects of or exposure that's already occurred. But there is so much benefit to short-term changes in dietary behavior in that you can rapidly reduce your exposure to these chemicals. Take eating organic, for example. Studies have found you can re literally reduce the exposure through organic food consumption in children in a couple of days. And in fact, studies have shown that these exposures can drop not just in low income, in high income populations, but in low income populations as well. So the reality is that you can do this across all socioeconomic strata. The reality, of course, is that organic food consumption does impose a theoretical cost. It's not just theoretical, it's real, but that cost has narrowed over the past five or six years. I, I work at Bellevue Hospital, the flagship public hospital for the New York City public hospital system, and 
in my own practice, we've started to incorporate this kind of dialogue because what we see is the big box stores taking this on and putting the products side by side as market share has had double-digit gains in organic food over the past decade, making the pressure we need to have the price margins narrow substantially such that ultimately it's not necessarily cost prohibitive to eat organic. There's also priority fruits and vegetables. Eating an organic avocado doesn't really get you much change in your pesticide exposure because there's that outer layer that you don't eat that ultimately you can peel off and reduce your exposure in that way. Whereas if you're eating organic lettuce or spinach or what's called the dirty dozen, where you eat that outer layer that already still has the pesticide spray, you ultimately more readily absorb that into your body uh, with the effects that follow. So from the perspective of bang for your buck, there are even only certain fruits and vegetables that you need to focus on. The so-called the dirty dozen and the, the, you know, the other ones that are relatively free. Uh, EWG, Environmental Working Group, actually publishes a list of those, and they're available on their website. That's right. So we can we can sort of uh, shop prudently, you know, where it's not necessary to, to pay the big bucks for organic. I mean, I just went shopping, and I got the organic peppers, and boy, they were expensive. They were about twice as expensive as the natural peppers. But I think peppers are on that list of potentially the dirty dozen, so it might be worthwhile to spring for the extra uh, on certain foods, whereas other foods it's less consequential. There Again, this reinforces the fact that there are safe and simple steps that we can take that neither require a PhD in chemistry nor have to break the bank. Similarly, Avoiding microwaving plastic or machine dishwashing mm-hmm. plastic yeah. is a way to avoid exposure to phthalates. Looking at the recycling number on a plastic bottle, the numbers three, six, and seven are the ones to avoid across the board. Three are for phthalates, six is for styrene and known carcinogen, and seven are for the bisphenols that we've mm-hmm. already talked about. The reason you avoid microwaving or machine dishwashing plastic is that even though it says microwave safe on the label. The reality is that they're non-covalently bound mm-hmm. chemicals in they the leach. lining. And, they leach. Yeah. And they break down uh, because polymers can break down into monomers and ultimately absorb into foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I will never forget uh, a, a patient that I saw. Uh, it was actually at a time where I was still seeing kids earlier in my career. And um, the parents brought this kid in, and this kid had uh, hypothyroidism at a very young age. And, you know, it was puzzling, because why should a child of 10 develop hypothyroidism? It's unusual. And, you know, I asked some questions, and it took me about 20 minutes before I got around to the environment. And they said, oh, yeah, by the way, they just um, installed new carpeting and uh, bought new furniture for poorly ventilated basement that the kids play in. And oh, by the way, they brought their little daughter, who was about six years old, and she wasn't the patient, but oh, by the way, she had uh, juvenile uh, rheumatoid arthritis, JRA, an autoimmune condition. And I thought, whoa, (laughs) you know, that really fits the picture of uh, exposure to flame retardants. Would that be your take on a situation like that, potentially? Um, 
one has to think about um, the exposures in our daily lives in a broader framework that's not typically part of the conventional medical training or thinking. I mean, the reality is that as a medical student, I've got a couple of hours, and that's the norm. That's less than the time I spent holding a retractor in an mm -hmm. open-heart surgery right. case. Um, and so that speaks to how little attention environmental medicine gets in the medical curriculum. And yet, we're increasingly finding this contribution of environmental exposures to people's lives in a profound way. So to some extent, this book is as much a call for a broader mindset in the medical curriculum. And by the way, as you talk to families about environmental exposure in their lives, it can actually enhance the relationship building that is so difficult to maintain in the context of, an, of a decreasingly long of, of a decreasing length in visit. These days, a lot of the, even the well child visits are running 20 to 30 minutes or less. And it's hard to get into that background. You know, you just want to, um, you know, uh, complete the medical record, uh, make sure that you have a billable visit, uh, use your EMR, which doesn't really prompt you for environmental concerns usually. And, uh, you know, that important discussion about the house you live in or the office you work in, uh, the job you do, uh, often doesn't get incorporated into the, into the big picture. And, and that's important. And the reality is, as we go in our increasing direction towards precision medicine, there's an opportunity to bring environment into that equation because you can measure many of these environmental exposures side by side with the expression of genes in our body, which are heavily influenced by environmental exposures. And so there are a number of ways where this field is on the horizon of being uh, more and more important and not less. But but there are some limitations. And, you know, you and I are both from the state of New York, and I'm always uh, frustrated sometimes by our inability in, in New York in particular uh, to do uh, broad-based uh, environmental chemicals uh, screening. Um, unless that situation has changed and we have newer tools, you know, how would a patient uh, know whether they've been exposed to inordinate amounts of environmental chemicals or their child, for example? Well, the, the way to, to do that really is by measuring exposure. Um, but the reality here is that we're not ready in the way that we probably could soon to implement broader measurement of these chemical exposures in the regular clinical practice. Now, the reality is that we're not that far off. We know what we can do to reduce these exposures. Um, at the same time, you can tell people what to do without giving them a clinical test to, to measure it. Uh, there may be a time where that chemical exposure may predict a health outcome and thereby uh, really um, change the clinical decision point. But that's uh, still on the horizon. At the same time, from a research perspective, these exposures, as measured in individual people, are associated with discrete outcomes. So, for example, levels of the perfluoroalkyl substances, the forever chemicals, in folks who had already recently lost weight through healthy diet and physical activity were associated with regaining that weight back um, in a higher amount. 
And when they looked more carefully, it was the resting metabolic rate that had slowed down. So it, these chemicals actually thwart our ability to diet and lose weight. They, they, they poison our metabolic pathways in some way that we don't burn fat properly? It depends on the chemical, and each chemical has a different kind of effect. And it's, you have to understand what it does in the human body. Mm -hmm. But imagine turning off the thermostat on a cold, wintry day. And that means that you uh, don't manage your own body's temperature in a way that makes sense. And that contributes to downstream metabolic effects. Sometimes with the plasticizing chemicals, the phthalates, it leads to a diversion of a caloric load from building up protein to fat or carbohydrates. You know, I'm very wary these days about buying canned food because, uh, you know, we know about uh, BPA, which is a can liner, you know, that smooth can lining that prevents the uh, metal from coming into contact with your food and keeps your food from sticking. Um, that's bad. Uh, but they've substituted other chemicals that may be equally bad, is my understanding? Well, that's the problem of chemical whack-a-mole. So there are some 40-odd replacements of BPA, artists formerly known as BPA. So when you think of a BPA-free can, it could well, unless they're using a non-bisphenol lining, have something like BPS, BPP, yeah. BPZ, BPF, just to name a few. And what little we know about one replacement, bisphenol S, is it's as estrogenic, as toxic to embryos, and as persistent in the environment. So we've literally swapped one problem out for another. Mm -hmm. What about, you know, buying uh, furniture and, uh, you know, buying kids' clothes? You know, you, it, I mean, you pick up a, uh, a label and it says, you know, um, f f it's uh, safe, you know, it's been tested. Um, you know, it's not the, the sofa that you buy, it's not going to burn up in a fire. Uh, okay, so much for that. But, you know, how can you determine if you're, uh, the, the household products that you're buying and clothing are free of uh, these chemicals. Is 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 it labeled? Well, even? California California changed the law when it comes to flame retardant, such that now furniture has to either be labeled as flame retardant free or containing flame retardants. And many manufacturers have picked have drunk the Kool Aid and have realized that they have to go away from flame retardants altogether. Mm -hmm. uh, it actually saves them money in a way, and the the other reality is that you don't have to throw out all your existing furniture. The reality is that this is sprayed into the furniture itself. And so unless it's torn or, or ripping open, these persistent organic pollutants generally stay contained. They are used in other products, and one of the ways to reduce exposure is to either use a wet mop to sop up all the dust with the persistent organic pollutants or simply recirculating the air and getting rid of these chemicals that accumulate in household dust that way. You know, the, and these days we're also so concerned with the peril of uh, mosquito-borne illnesses, you know, West Nile and whatnot. And then, of course, uh, Lyme disease, uh, a big deal here in uh, our part of the country, but across the country. In, you know, most of the 50 states, uh, there are reported cases of Lyme disease, particularly in the Northeast. Uh, you know, we want to go to the woods. We want to experience nature. Um, you know, uh, should we be spraying ourselves down with uh, chemicals or should we be spraying these things in our households to rid ourselves of ants and household pests? Well, in general, spraying these pesticides in the household is arguably not, not necessarily needed. In most cases, 
it's thinking about the reasons why these pests are attracted in the first place to coming in uh, to the house. So if you manage through pest management the avoidance of, of food or other materials being close to where um, pests can come in and, and, and track after that, the reality is you can substantially um, reduce the use of pesticide and ultimately not have to, uh, to expose yourself in the first place. Um, the same is true for various athletic fields and, and golf courses and such. There are ways to avoid using these pesticides mm-hmm. in the first place. Those, those green grasses uh, are often, uh, you know, come at a cost. And, uh, you know, I know for, for the lawn that we have, uh, at my house, uh, you know, we have little kids, uh, you know, babies and infants who play in the grass and, you know, we insist on, you know, the, the least toxic, uh, lawn management possible. And you have to stipulate that. Uh, but more and more, uh, lawn care companies, um, are offering that. So that certainly can be an option. Uh, so, you know, lots of practical tips, uh, in this book. It's not just, uh, you know, alarmist, uh, you know, there are suggestions on how, to minimize your exposure to these environmental toxins. Uh, but in terms of a call to action, what can we do as voters, as citizens? What should we be demanding of our local, you know, state, local, and federal governments? Of course, a lot of this requires federal action or state action, uh, but it doesn't all require policy. I mean, we've really seen with BPA-free that the FDA ban on BPA and babe bottles and sippy cups was simply the byproduct of of, tele, of media and television and and customer enthusiasm and concern, uh, and then literally manufacturers ran to the FDA, having changed their manufacturing processes and simply insisted on the ban. So consumer action can drive the change we seek. More generally, with the Teflon-like chemicals, we saw a study of five food packages literally lead to um, two supermarket chains insisting on their upstream manufacturers to make alternative products without the perfluorochemical substances in their buffet-style food packaging. So that can often be a way that, as collectives, we can drive the change we seek. Vote with our consumer dollars. Yes, the power of the pocketbook or purse um, or wallet is is profound and adds up. It, you know, for similarly, if you ask uh, a company how a product is made, they may not know the answer on the first call, but by the second or third call, they often have to, through a paper trail, figure out what was in their products in the first place. And so you'd be surprised how a small group of people can drive action uh, to protect all of us. Right. The big move in Congress, uh, you know, to promote uh, industry to deregulate. Uh, you know, I'm all for commerce. I'm all for, you know, increasing American workers' productivity and not being hamstrung with all kinds of uh, arcane regulations. But, uh, you know, are we seeing kind of a regression in terms of regulatory in this country? Well, before the change in administration in the United States, we saw uh, a major change in chemical regulation because states were insisting on writing their own laws when it came to chemical safety. And that got the chemical industry to go to the negotiation table with the environmental groups and ultimately rewrite the law. And similarly, um, 
we could see momentum in the future when it comes to chemicals unintentionally or intentionally added to foods uh, where there are serious gaps in that regard. And again, here, states are really, through their federalist powers, driving the federal government to act. Yes, in the context of political administrations, the winds may not be going at your back, they might be in your face, but the reality is that regardless of political administration, um, there are forces that can bring people together in a productive way to, to be the change we seek. Okay, well, on that uh, encouraging note, uh, I'm going to recommend very highly that uh, our intelligent medicine listeners pick up a copy of Sicker, Fatter, Poorer, because it's a great primer on um, the uh, environmental chemicals that threaten our health uh, and may, uh, you know, undermine our fertility, uh, our ability to uh, maintain weight because of obesogens uh, and increase our risk for, you know, a wide variety of medical conditions. And especially when it comes to, you know, it's especially cogent that it's coming from a pediatrician because um, uh, that's where the rubber meets the road. Kids are more sensitive than adults uh, to some of these harms, and we want to protect our kids and future generations. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Dr. Leo Trisandi, the book is Sicker, Fatter, Poorer. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.